Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. My name is Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I am your host, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today. So for today's podcast, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and it's not that I don't do a lot of thinking for all of the podcasts. I do a significant amount of thinking before I record and put things out there into the world, but I've been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting about Indigenous Peoples Day, how we teach Indigenous peoples, and how I can better integrate Indigenous history into my classroom. And while this has been a goal of mine for a while, I feel like this year I've had an extra focus on it. So we all know that representation is important. And if we didn't know that representation was important, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I wouldn't be making it. So since you're here, I'm assuming that you are trying to do better or that you are doing better and you're looking for like-minded people or you are in the process of learning, but I guess that's all of us. As an Italian-American woman, every year around Indigenous Peoples Day or the federal holiday Columbus Day, I get into a bit of a kerfuffle with the people around me. I live in a very Italian part of New Jersey about Columbus. And I'm going to save that and learning about other Italian-Americans who contributed to society in a positive way for another episode. But in thinking about Indigenous people, I always want to make sure that months get celebrated. Months are important. And the reason why months are important, and by months I mean Native American Heritage Month, Hispanic, Latinx Heritage Month, Black History Month, Asian American Pacific Islander History Month. So all of those months are important. And I used to not take a lot of stock in them. And the reason for that was that my philosophy was that as long as I'm including these stories in my curriculum, the month is not necessary. And that's an argument that a lot of people make. And it's one that I respect. It's one that I held for a really long time. Until one of my students brought the months up to me. And when I was speaking with her, and I have some very intelligent eighth graders, very, very intelligent eighth graders, and they are opinionated in the very best ways, and they're willing to speak their minds. And one of my favorite things is that they'll talk to me about these things. So a few years ago, more than a few now, but I don't wanna admit how old I am. One of my eighth grade students came to me and asked me why we don't celebrate Black History Month. And my response to her was my response that I just said to you, we do Black history in American history, so what's the difference? And for her, she expressed that the month is really important because it's a celebration of a particular culture's history. And it acknowledges a particular culture in a way that they don't necessarily get acknowledged in history. It's the joyful moments of a group's history that don't necessarily get covered. It's a celebration of culture. And that not only do we cover it in history class, but it's also not the majority. I mean, think about it. Hispanic and Latinx history, Black history, Native American history, they're not the full coverage. I'm not saying that they're an add-on, especially in my class. I feel like I've been doing a really good job integrating histories into my classroom, but they're not the primary focus. They're not the focal point. And those months give cultures the opportunity to be the focal point for 30 or 31 days, unless you're February, where it's 28, unless it's leap year, when it's 29. But it gives those cultures the opportunity to shine. So it was at that moment after that conversation 
with that eighth grader and some reflection of my own that I decided that, hey, the months are important and maybe I've been missing something with my students. So that's number one. Number two, besides the importance of months, it is also really, really necessary, and you know this, listener, you know this, to include lots of stories in our history. And American history is not American history without indigenous history. So we can't start American history in 1776. We can't start it in 1620 with the landing at Plymouth Rock, which, by the way, I found out is basically a tiny rock in a fence. Not interesting. I've never been to Plymouth Rock. That's why I say this. I saw it in a picture and I couldn't believe my eyes. And it is, in fact, true. I digress. Uh, We cannot start American history even in 1619 with enslavement. We cannot start it in 1607 when the English landed in Jamestown. We have to actually start American history about 40,000 years ago with people coming to the North American and South American continents. And that's actually where I started this year. I taught Beringia, and I know that's only one of many theories about how the um, North and South American continents were populated, but I taught about Beringia. And then we spent quite a while, a unit, on the Lenape, who are native to New Jersey and parts of New York and parts of Pennsylvania, and who are the oldest tribe in this area of the nation. One of the most rewarding parts of this entire unit was the questions and curiosities of the students about indigenous history. Now, we made a point to understand that we can't historicize people. So indigenous people are still here. Some of them might be in our classroom. Some of them might be you. Some of them might be you, listener, who knows? And cultures are still thriving and living and joyful despite hardships that they have faced both in the past and in the present. But one of the very coolest things that we did was we talked about clothing and we talked about stereotypes. And part of this comes from James Lowen's writing where he wrote about the $24 myth. You probably already know the story about how the Lenape sold off the island of Manhattan for $24 worth of beets. Wrong. And we talked about all the reasons why that has to be wrong. Inflation, the idea that the Lenape didn't even want feeds, the idea of land ownership and the differences in how the land is used and what ownership means and if ownership even exists. It was a very worthwhile conversation. But Lowen in his book puts a picture of the Battery Park statue that commemorates this particular event. And one of the things that the kids got most stuck on was the fact that the Dutchman in the in the statue in Battery Park in New York City is fully clothed from head to toe, totally covered. Whereas the Lenape man in the same statue is wearing a loincloth and that's it. And a full, large feather headdress. And Lowen makes a point in the book to say, well, nobody would ever be dressed that way in New York at the same time. So one of them is either really hot or one of them is really, really cold. So students used that statue to myth bust, 
but also to combat stereotypes and to understand how important public history is and how important it is that we are accurate in our telling of history, whether it's through art or through writing or through video. They really understood in that moment, in those moments, that telling everyone's story is so important in order to combat stereotypes. So they learned from several different sources about historical dress for the Lenape. They learned about ceremonial dress for the Lenape. And there was this really wonderful news story on WHYY, which is PBS NPR, about Native American regalia, in particular, the Nanticoke Lenny Lenape. And a woman named Corey Ridgway discusses the significance of the pieces that she makes and the importance of preserving the tradition of making clothing. And my students found it so valuable to make that connection between the past and the present and the way that people can be viewed either positively or negatively, depending on how they are so frequently depicted in public. So that was one part of the way I started integrating Indigenous history. And let me also make a note, I never do any of this alone. Uh, I work with two really amazing colleagues who are so into it and share so much. And I'm so very, very proud to be on on a teaching team with them. Another lesson that I'm really proud of actually involves an online oral exhibit through the Peabody Museum at Harvard and, and the Wampanoag. So the Peabody Museum at Harvard did a online exhibit that I just thought was one of the coolest things that I've seen and I needed to share it with my students. So they did something called Listening to Wampanoag Voices Beyond 1620. And basically what this is, is it's an online voice exhibit, kind of like podcasts, where Wampanoag tribal members reflect on the collection at the Peabody Museum at Harvard and they share their memories and they reflect upon these artifacts and their thoughts and I thought it would be a really interesting way for my students to learn Wampanoag history but also contemporary history of the people who lived in Plymouth before it was even Plymouth and Patuxet. So I chose three of the voices. One of them was Jonathan James Perry, who talks about a killock or an anchor. One of them is Elizabeth James Perry, who talks about a beaded wool sash. And one is Philip Wynne, and he talks about herring. And the students were able to learn the history of these artifacts, but also hear the person connect that artifact to not only their past, but to their present and how they continue to appreciate their culture and live their culture. So students worked in groups and there is a link to a Google Slides presentation that students can work in in the show notes today to listen to each person speak about their artifact, to take notes, they have an opportunity to write some questions, and then not only do they summarize what they've learned, but it also asks them to reflect. So for example, when Jonathan James Perry talks about the killock or the anchor, he talks about how the anchor is also a metaphor for him anchoring himself to his ancestors. So in their reflection, I ask students what anchors them 
to their past or to the people that they love. Because some students, we have to remember, their past might not be easy, and we don't want to ask what anchors them to their families because some students might not have easy family situations. So I tried to make the question as inclusive as I possibly could. And I feel like when the students were listening to these voices, the first time they listened through, they weren't really sure what to think because it's not their traditional history lesson. But the second time that they listened, and then when they sat and they talked about it, they really could see the connection between past and present. And they really could see the connection between Wampanoag ancestry and contemporary people. And they could really connect to these people who so generously gave their time to talk about the artifacts in the museum. So rather than doing a traditional history lesson, now the slides do include a short history of the Wampanoag so that the kids have a little bit of background information. But rather than doing a traditional history lesson, by using oral histories, which is what these essentially are, the kids were able to learn from a totally different perspective than theirs, to learn from a primary source about a primary source. And it was just incredibly rewarding. And I thought that that was going to be a really great way to include indigenous history in a really authentic way and not as an add-on because we always want to make sure that we're not tacking other people on. We don't want to tack on indigenous history or black history or Hispanic Latinx history or women's history or um, LGBTQ history. We want to make sure that they're really fully integrated. And this was one of the first times that I really felt like I did a good job on that. So, I mean, the school year is not over. There is plenty of indigenous history to go. There is Also, a ton that I have done with my colleagues that I haven't shared in this podcast. I just gave you two really quick highlights. So I hope that I've given you some food for thought today. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch with me or you want to bounce some ideas off, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way or at Facebook, facebook.com slash Teaching History Her Way. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your ideas. I would love to collaborate with you. So please get in touch. And until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you, audience. Bye-bye.